in health and in sickness, for rich and for poor, with nat 20s and nat 1s, till TPK do is apart. It was night, the adventurers are making camp, they have traveled for a day and are eager to get their gear off and rest. However, suddenly a group of wolves enter the camp. Victor the fighter suddenly stops, caught in the act of putting down his longsword. There was as many wolves as adventurers, but the part was ready. So the battle began, one side hunting and one side defending. Hello and welcome to the third episode of the TPK podcast, the podcast where I, William Wadbrandt, discuss my thoughts on the design work that a dungeon master makes. In the last episode, we discussed the overarching design philosophy that I both employ and recommend. Today, however, I am going to go over some design of encounters, and specifically for lower levels. What I go over in this episode can be used in two ways. I will describe four encounters, two for level one and two for level three. Well, I like to explain in these encounters in just the way that Wizard of the Coast module would. I will explain the scenario, and what the players will know, and what the players will have to do. Along with this, I will dip down into why I made these design choices. I do this for two reasons. The first reason is that these encounters will work perfectly for a new DM who is looking to run a simple, cool, easy encounter just to throw it into the game. The second thing is that new DMs and more experienced ones alike will get the insight on how an encounter can look if you follow the TPK's cast design philosophy of objectives, up-down cycles, and purpose that we discussed in the last episode. Note that these encounters are built to be straightforward, that they are not only to get easy to run for the dungeon master, they aren't too hard to dissolve for the players either. They aim to get a great feeling how an encounter should be for the players and how it should feel for the dungeon master. They are intended to be run along four to five other common encounters in one adventuring day. And if you run more than that, it will be harder, and if you run fewer, it will be a lot easier because the players have their resources, and these run out. Players are supposed to get one short rest among these encounters, these four to five, and no long rest. In the future, I'll make an episode on rest, but if you want some insight on it, I recommend looking up on YouTube Drunken and Dragons video titled Key Mechanics Series 2 Rest. I'll leave the link in the show notes to the website. One aspect I am also taking on this episode is one of the experience points explained by the Dungeon Master and the Monster Manual of the 5th edition. There are two systems, challenge rating and experience points. Here on the TPK podcast, we completely ignore the challenge rating system. However, the experience points is slightly more accurate and great to us as a baseline for what monsters to use in combat. However, what decides how hard, how fun, and how testing an encounter is for the players is always decided by 1. the objective of the encounter, 2. the tactic of the enemies, and 3. the environment of the encounter. The monsters obviously matter, but you always want the monsters on the same level. If you want to make a really, really hard encounter, you shouldn't just add in more enemies, as that will not be very interesting. You should add in interesting aspects, as we discussed in previous episodes. A last thing before we begin, specifically aimed at the new player who aren't sure how to do things. If you listen to my first episode, you hear me speak of goblins. When I did that, the tables we wrong were used and they wasn't specifically designed, it was just to get a view on the idea of the encounter. It was an episode like this, where development and numbers were relevant, and it's more, it's more about idea and design. Feel free to use the numbers of this episode, because they have been calculated and tested. The TPK cast do not bear any responsibility from deaths, fights, or failures caused by the advice of the TPK cast. We take no responsibility of any actions or plans you took as a dungeon master. We do not mind when players die, and the work is trial and error. All we want is to make encounters interesting, which includes risk. If you lost any of your teammates based on advice and wants revenge, we would like to have you know that the TPK cast is backed by the Orcus, master of the undead. If you want to curse us, the Orcus would assist us in the systematic slaughter of the rest of your party and your world. Hail Orcus. So, level 1 encounters, they're tricky. Many enemies simply one-shot the players, and having too many enemies will make that even harder, as level 1 players do not have money area of effect damage abilities. 
Level 1 players are notorious for having very, very low HP, and making level 1 encounters interesting is complicated. Either you have to make the encounters easy as a tutorial, which is translates to boring here on the TPK cast, or you accept the fact that level 1 PCs are fragile and will die. It is not that big of a deal, they were just made after all. So the first encounter we're going to look at is a level 1 wolf encounter. This is an excellent encounter run for players for their first encounter of the campaign. It's designed for level 1 encounter, and it's about, like, it's a hard encounter, but it is not very complicated. For three players, you will have two wolves. One of them will we'll call a howler. For four players, we'll have also two wolves, but one will be an alpha. For five players, we'll have three wolves, one of which will be an alpha. The alpha wolf is simply a wolf with two extra piercing damage on hit. Instead of doing 2d4 plus 2 piercing damage on hit, they will do 2d4 plus 4. This will be described as they are much larger, and the players will get an insight that this wolf, okay, this wolf deals more damage than the other wolves. It's the alpha, right? It also gains double the health at 26 HP. The alpha will also have the howl ability. In the three-player encounter, there are only two wolves, and making one of them alpha will be too hard, as the alpha will hit so damn hard for the players. So we'll just call it the Howler, which is the normal wolf, except it has the Howling ability. The Howling ability is simple. The first time they take an action, they will let out a huge howl, which you'll describe to the players. And then you will roll a d4 timer dice. This simply says that in this many turns, another wolf will arrive, so the Howler, or the Alpha, has the ability to call in more wolves. When I run this encounter, I will roll the d4 timer dice, and I will show the results to the players, I will show them the roll. This creates a fair but exciting scenario, where the players know that this is going to happen. You describe it as they howled, as a war call, and then after a while you can hear uh, rumbling in the distance. This is very, very good, as the players will know this is about to happen, something's going to happen in this summit of time. The kicker will be when the new wolf arrives in 1d4 turns, that could be 1, 2, 3, or 4 turns, the howler will howl, or the alpha will howl again. This will create what's called a target encounter, and we'll get to that as we get to that point in the encounter. So when I discuss an encounter, there's nine points I discuss. It's the pre-work, what happens before the encounter. It's the initiation and presentation, what I tell the players, what happens when they engage. The enemies, what is it that you're fighting? The objective, what is the goal of the fight? The tactics of the enemies, how will the enemies act? Are they intelligent? Are they pack animals? It depends. The presentation of the enemy tactics to the players. How will I tell the players, okay, this is their strategy and this is how they will fight? This gives the players a lot of insight. The mechanics of the encounter. What mechanics will be relevant? What this in our encounter is the howl mechanic. The environment and the terrain. How does the world look? Never have a flat, boring encounter. It is really, really lame. In this encounter, we'll go over that as well. And the last point is too hard slash too easy. What do you do when the encounter is too hard? And what do you do when the encounter is way too easy? The pre-work of this encounter is that if during the previous day when the players were traveling, if anyone wanted to roll a perception check and managed to beat the difficulty class 13, they will see tracks of wolves. Maybe at some point they'll even hear howling. The surprise. This is the initiation, and you simply do when they, the players go on the rest for the night. You ask the players if they have anyone on guard. 
or if you want to make it a little bit more difficult, you don't ask and hope that they do have a guard. Have the player who is currently on guard at, at a random point during the night roll perception. Note, if there's no guards, the players will learn a lot from this encounter when a player dies here. You then roll Wolf Stealth, which is a d20 plus 4. If the player's perception beat this d20 plus 4, then the player on guard will see the wolves coming from a while away. Give the player a moment to wake their friends up before initiative. You ask them, what do you want to do? You hear the sound of wolves. On a failure, you give the wolf a surprise round. As of note, balance is hard here. If the wolves get a surprise round from stealth, that is really bad for the players. Player death in the first encounter might happen. If you want balance, or, or maybe not have it that difficult, you should have the wolves start from far away and use their surprise round as a setup for their to move into the camp. When the normal initiative starts after the free surprise round, the wolves are in position, but just outside attack reach, so they can move and attack as their initiative order goes. The combat tactics of the wolves is pack tactics. It's an ability they have that gives them advantage on attack rolls against a creature if at least one of the wolves' allies is within five feet of the creature and the ally is incapacitated. This is the tactic that the wolves will use. They will gang up on one player and gain advantage. The tactic you will convey to the players is that the wolves move like a trained pack and they try to get advantage from attacking all the same person. This seems very obvious, but the players will have to figure out themselves how to counter this. It's not as easy as you think. The wolves don't understand tankiness or armor class, but the wolves do understand that if they attack someone all together at the same time, they will get an advantage. Mechanic. The Howl. You give the wolf a leader. In the 4-5 to five player version, it's also an alpha, which deals increased damage and has double health. This leads to what the TPK podcast calls a target objective. When there is an enemy that has to be dealt with, the encounter has a clear objective. Deal with this. Or... It will, they will lose. It will take the player's time to 1. Figure out the objective, 2. Figure out the deal with the objective, and 3. Actually dealing with the objective. During all this time, the combat encounter will unfold, and the longer the players take, the more difficult the encounter will be, and this turns the encounter from being number crunch, players against wolves, into number crunch on a time limit where we have to crunch these numbers and see, will this work? No, it will not. Okay, we have to do something clever. And that's the player's main advantage. They're exceptionally clever. The terrain. Have a height change in your encounter here. The wolves can't climb, and from a high ground, a ranged character will feel powerful and be powerful. You don't give this information for free, but have somewhere where the players could figure out that they could easily climb up and really show them that through being exceptionally clever, they will gain an advantage. In most of my encounters, I try to implement an interactive environment. In this case, having a height that you can climb would be such a thing. It gives the player an advantage if they can figure out how to use it. If you want something else, I would have a rotten tree or something to break up the fight. The wolves are much weaker if you break it up and have the wolves not be able to fight together. They don't get the advantage. This would cause it to be very, very interesting. And for this to work, you need to make it very obvious that this specific, maybe this tree can fall much more than you think yourself, because the players do not want to waste a turn of fighting to do something that do not work. So why did I pick wolves for this encounter? The selection of enemies is very, very important. Well, the players know what to expect with wolves. In the previous episode, I talked about a way to make encounters easy, is to have the creatures the players know. However, 
The unknown is hard, and building a strategy around it is even harder. This is the first encounter, and the players know no enemies. They, however, do not wolves. They know wolves, and they know what to expect. So, it's really an encounter where they aren't afraid of the unknown, but they're trying to figure out what's actually going on. Okay, to the point of too hard and too easy. If this encounter is too hard, then it is kind of complicated to fix that. A small encounter is hard to balance in that way. Wolves aren't smart, however. If the encounter is too hard, you can make it so that some of the wolves chase players out of reach. The wolf sees you in the distance and obviously don't want you to get away. And you sh Then the wolf shards that person, and instead of focusing on one person, which is what the wolves should do in this situation, they will simply chase off. It will slow the wolves down a lot, especially if the person they're chasing is on high ground and unable to be reached. If this encounter is too easy, you should increase the how many wolves arrive with the Howl ability. This is the way, much, much straightforward way to do this, and especially why I like this Howl ability. The, the wolf, the leader, or the, the alpha, or the wolf with the Howl ability will Howl, and instead of one wolf appearing, you'll have two or three wolves appear. If the pack leader is dead, you can just have one of the alive wolves realize the leader is now dead and he must step up to become the new leader. He puffs himself up and howls to call in more wolves as their alpha is unable to. This is a very interesting encounter with multiple mechanics going on. The first version, two wolves, one of which can howl, is a 50 experience plus 50 experience plus 25 experience. The 25 comes from the fact that there's one, there's more wolves coming but these wolves usually only they're only one that are do arrive, and that one do not arrive for one d four turns after the encounter starts. This is considered a deadly encounter for these players. However, it will not be as deadly as that. Remember that a deadly encounter is considered deadly when run along eight encounters a day. This encounter will not is not intended to be run with 8 per day because I found that that is not where really the design is going to be. It's more interesting to have 4 to 5 interesting and hard encounters than 8 time consuming ones. The 4 player version which has 2 wolf but one is an alpha with 26 health and does an additional 2 damage per hit. I will call this a 50 experience for the first wolf, 75 for the alpha and then 25 for the second wolf that will come out after D four turns. More wolves could come technically, but most times you run this encounter, the more wolves will not come. The final version of this encounter, the five playering version, has three wolves, one of which is an alpha. This makes a 50 plus 50 plus 75 for wolf, wolf plus alpha, and then 25 experience points for the one wolf that arrives later. This is a 200 experience points, which is 25 experience points under deadly. It's a hard encounter, basically. In the second encounter I'll go over, the players will be robbed. This is a robbery encounter for level 1 players. The pre-work for this is that an hour or so before the encounter begins, a perceptive PC may see tracks of travelers in the area. Alternatively, you can have someone on the road or in a tavern speak of being robbed, knowing someone who got robbed, or generally complain about the bad roads. The initiation of this encounter is that the players are traveling down a road, and you have a man on this road, he's standing right there and then have the others hide with a difficult class of 13 to detect them for the players. Hyperman number 1, who's standing in the middle of the road, will stop the players with an outstretched hand. Give me your gold and jewelry and we'll let you pass. If not, you'll lose your heads and we'll still take the gold. You're outnumbered. Let's make this easy. Note that the players will never go for this. They will never hand over what's theirs. 
They are powerful adventures after all, even though they're level 1. What is interesting is how you can rake up the difficulty since they have made the decision to fight themselves. Show the players that their actions have consequences, and it's not always easier to be engaged. Note number 2. This encounter gives the players who like to roleplay or build in social characters an interesting avenue of solution. They can talk their way out of this encounter. However, know that in this encounter, the bandits are desperate and they know they are outnumbering the players. They will refuse to leave any valuables. So what exactly are you fighting? If you're three players, you'll fight five bandits from the Monsters Manual, and four of them will use their scimitars and one will use their crossbow. If you're four players, you'll face six bandits, three on scimitars and three with light crossbow. On the largest version, you are 5 players, facing 8 bandits, 5 with scimitars and 3 with light crossbows. This is built to be quite hard, because the players made a conscious choice, let's fight these, even though they had full awareness of what they're gonna fight. So, what's the objective of this first level encounter? Well, it's a take on a survival encounter. You'll have those, even if I personally recommend to avoid them as much as possible. However, what makes this an interesting survival encounter is that this has an A-B survival encounter. This means that you start off with a choice, A or B. Survival encounters, if well designed, must be harder than a normal encounter to be interesting. That's why the Dungeon Master Guide style encounters are uninteresting in my opinion. But this survival difficulty is justified from giving the players three paths in the beginning to take. 1. Handing over their gold. 2. Using their creativity and social skills to get out cheaper. Or 3. The survival objective. The highwaymen aren't out to slaughter the players, and we'll discuss their tactics now, because they're out to get make money, right? So, the goal and tactics of the bandits is to be smart and focus the high priority targets. As the bandits are humanoids and humans, they are smart, and they can figure out on a basic level what to do, like don't attack the guy in full plate. The presentation we do for the players in this is that the enemy tactics is very straightforward, and it really doesn't need anything specific. You can have one of the bandits tell the others, knock him out so we can rob him. Move on, and then move on. I don't want to be out here in the night. The dancing barrel is where we'll be. Hinting that the players don't want to kill the players, but they want to collect valuables and hit the local inn. The mechanics of this encounter is really the choice in the beginning, and the fact that no players will die in this encounter, unless the situation warrants it. For environment terrain in this encounter, you need somewhere for the parents to hide. I designed this as a small trail through a wooded area. Bushes, shrubs, and trees are good things to hide in, and will provide cover and distance for the crossbowmen of the encounter. Too hard and too easy. Because if this encounter is too hard, it's not much to do in this, this encounter dynamically. However, a failure isn't too bad, as no players will die. You can lower the amount of things that the bandits will steal, from just taking the purses of half the players, to taking everything they own, leaving them naked. If this encounter is too easy, you can just have more bandits with crossbows emerge from the forest mid-encounter. Personally, I would have one of the bandits call for assistance with a flute or a horn, and roll a d4 timer dice openly. So if I roll a 1, 2, or 3, or 4, that's in how many turns reinforcement would appear. This change is dynamic, uh, as much dynamic as it gets, but in the hard version, it really maybe doesn't make sense, so you can describe for the players that the bandits took the things in all haste. Maybe the players can even be woken up by a guard who chased the bandits away, giving, the, giving a very obvious impression that the bandits obviously didn't have time to take everything, they just took the purses and ran. Maybe not even all the purses, maybe the ones they found. An interesting note is that if the players do lose, they will feel horrible and will not be happy. They will resent the bandits for what happened. 
So I would recommend having one of the bandits say, in case of a loss, um, that the Yellow Brothers sent their regards as they knock out the last player when they reduce it to zero hit points, revealing the names of the bandits. It could easily be the first plot point, either a main plot or a side plot, to hunt down these bandits. Trust me, the players will hate anyone who touched their well-earned gold. Alright, that was the first level encounters, and we'll now move on to third level encounter. With third level, we're four, at four players, we have 600 to 1600 experience points of monsters. This encounter, I will call the Wand of Shane of Corrosion. There's a merchant on the road, having a wagon and a horse. However, when the players arrive, a mechanical trap has broken one of the wheels on the wagon. The merchant is panicking, worrying of bandits. When the players arrive, the merchant says that he has valuable cargo, and he will pay the players quite a bit if they help the wagon up and going. The wagon will be robbed, however, uh, and it contains an expensive weapon for one of the players to wield. The pre-work of this encounter is really just making the world more alive. Have talks of merchants and cultists in the area. Maybe even specifically name the cult, which I have named the Cursed Worm Cult in this encounter. For initiation and presentation of this encounter, you explain the situation, and then you have the players talking or helping the merchant, a cultist from the Cursed Worm Cult, walks up and telling the merchant to hand over the weapon. When the merchant refuses and skeletons appear, the combat will commence and the players will have no choice to engage or let this cultist kill the merchant and take the weapon, which never will happen. The fight will be at three players, will be a cult fanatic from the monster manual and five skeletons. On four players, it will be a cult fanatic and eight skeletons. And on five players, it will have a cult fanatic, a minotaur skeleton, and three skeletons. Note that these are higher than deadly in some cases. This is a very hard encounter. However, this is not a survival encounter. It's an objective encounter. After a round or two in the encounter, the merchant will tell the players to use the weapon in his locked chest inside the wagon. A player will walk up and try to open it, and it will be locked. If our merchant is asked for the key, he will say it's somewhere in his pack and toss his pack to the player. The player may try to pick the lock if they have thief's tools, DC 10, or look for the key, perception DC 12. Once they get into the chest, they will find a wand with green shimmer around it originating from five gems in his head. They need to figure out how to use it, and either with a DC 10 arcana check or an investigation at DC 14. At this point, inform the players that it's magical, suggesting that a magic user might be better to use it. The objective of this encounter is that the encounter itself is really hard, but the players will gain a large advantage once the Wand of Chain Corrosion is obtained. The tactics of the enemies is... eh, fairly straightforward. The enemy tactics and goal is to defeat the players and obtain the magic item. The cultists will tell orders to the skeletons as they take their turn to focus on the right person and whatnot. This suggests that the players, that the cultist is the one who makes the skeletons tactical. Once the cultist is defeated or killed or incapitated, the skeletons will start making weird focusing choices and their focus on who to kill first will swindle a bit. If the cultists manage to grab the wand somehow, he will try to run away and escape. The skeletons will try to let him escape, not caring about their own life and what will happen to anyone in this encounter, just that this cultist escapes. The mechanics of the encounter is really about the wand. The wand will swing the tides of battle. Someone holding the wand can as an action target three enemies and cause them to make a constitution DC 15 saving throw. On a failure, the target will take 3d12 acid damage. 
this can be used five times as the gems are depleted. The environment terrain. You can make this terrain wherever you want to make it interesting. I recommend having a height different on one side, maybe an old stone wall on one side that the player can gain half cover from. Trees, bushes, etc. is also interesting. If this encounter is too hard, lower the DC required to acquire the wand, making the wand stronger. Um, it's an easy build to access. The wand is the key to encounter, and without it, the encounter is really, really hard. If this encounter is too easy, have the cultist pull up a scroll and summon additional skeletons. Note. Make sure that the merchant informs the players to get this, the wand. It is key to this encounter. If the players do not get this information, the encounter will be very, very difficult. This encounter is great because it lets the player in encounter talk to an NPC, both enemy and friendly. It also shows that sometimes skill usage is way more important than damage output. It's very easy for players to get trapped in the idea that they have to deal a maximum amount of damage when there is an objective on the stand. This is not true. So it is very important to show this to the players and this is a great encounter to show this. You also create a friendly NPC in the, for the future use that owes the players a favor. And maybe after the encounter, the merchant will, you know, hesitantly offer the players a reward. However, the players could also easily deny it, uh, having the him become a friendly guy, really. It lets the players feel like heroes, and that is really, really important. They solve a puzzle in the middle of a cultist attack. And that is a great mark for a hero, especially when they do it without pay to protect an innocent merchant. And that leads us into our fourth and final encounter. It's a third level encounter called the Haunted House. This encounter is really easy to plug into your game as in any situation, in any quest where you're in need of an object, you can put the object in the Haunted House. An old haunted house, seemingly empty. Once it was a farmhouse, as inside there are farm equipment laying all around the floor. Shovels, bags, hay, sickles, and even a pair of old scarecrows. The ceiling seems to be very fragile, you can see this with a perception DC of 11, and it seems to be one push from one of the corners into falling in. In the middle, there is even a hole of sunlight bursting through the ceiling, even more showing how weak it is. In one corner, there is an old cupboard, DC 15 to notice, there is also an alchemist cupboard. The pre-work for this encounter is that it should happen in the day. If this encounter would happen during the night, the players will be punished harder, and it gives them a great so give them a great chance to do it during the day. Uh, uh, difficulty class 11 to notice that the ceiling is fragile, and a DC 14 to notice one of the pillars in the corners, the only thing that's holding it up. Then the shadows will also roll stealth at the beginning of the player when the players enter the room. Uh, that's a D20 plus six um, as one unit. If the players rolled perception higher than this the shadows will be detected. As an additional point to the pre-work of this encounter, if you want to lead the players here, a haunted house is like the most easy way to do it. You need a few townsfolk who talk about the haunt, scary haunted house who can tell you exactly where it is, and then you need a person who actually knows that the item they're looking for is in the haunted house, but don't know where the haunted house is. This will lead to an interesting investigation where the players find out, okay, there's a haunting house to the north, and then they talk, okay, so in some random haunted house, there is this item we need to get. This will lead the players into feeling good about themselves because they performed a perfectly fine investigation. The enemies you'll actually fight on three players is one scarecrow and two shadows from the monster manual. At four players, it is two scarecrows and two shadows. At five players, there are two scarecrows and four shadows.
So the objective of this encounter is that it really is a survival encounter as well. The shadows provide a lot of deadliness and it makes it exciting enough to be called a survival encounter without adding an additional uh, objective. The tactic of the enemies is that the enemies are horror creatures and they have very little actual battle tactics. They will try to murder the party without too much strategy. The Scattercrows will initiate the encounter by being stealthed. Their false appearance ability will give them an advantage, like actual advantage on their skill stealth check, uh, which they will roll in the beginning of the encounter. The shadows can use shadow stealth to make their hide action as a bonus action. This lets them attack, then attempt to hide in the shadows. They don't need anything to hide behind because of this. You do this every single round after the attack. Remember that if a shadow manages to hide, they may or not be move afterwards. The players will roll perception, and if they fail, they will only know the last known location. They may try to attack the shadow, but they get no information from this, and they do attack with disadvantage, as they cannot see their target. The mechanics of the encounter is really three main mechanics. The first mechanic is that the shadow on hit will reduce the strength of the player by 1d4. This can be a lot to keep track of, to ex so explain it to the players so they can handle it and so you don't have to. If a character uses strength weapon, they will be hurt by this a lot, because their damage will be reduced as their modifiers being reduced, especially when they start hitting negative modifiers. Also, if strength hits zero, the character dies instantly, which is a real threat. The alchemist cupboard will contain two potions of remove curse, which removes any curse from a person, including the strength modifier that shadows apply. This is an interesting thing where if a player checks it out, they will find these potions and can help out anyone with strength issues. It is very likely that this will never be done in the encounter, but it can be done afterwards to make the players fit for fight instantly after the encounter, instead of being very weak. The ceiling is the third mechanic. During the encounter, you have a shadow who walks through the sunlight glowing from the middle of the hole in the ceiling, and sh you can see the players see that he shakes from the pain when he does so. Shadows get disadvantage on everything when in the sunlight, so the players could collapse the roof by damaging the, the last pillar holding the roof up, dealing 1d4 blooding damage to everyone in the room, and then having full sunlight in the house, causing a huge disadvantage for the shadows. For environment terrain, is the ceiling is the main terrain, otherwise put some furniture that might be interesting, you know, a bookcase, more cupboards, chairs, table, ruined stuff, basically. If this encounter is too hard, you can trigger the ceiling yourself. Have someone push something over, which unstables the bookcase, which hits the pillar, which collapses the ceiling. You get the idea. Once the ceiling collapses, the shadows go from deadly to weak. If this encounter is too easy, you could have a few zombies walk through the door from the, hearing the commotion, as there is a graveyard in the backyard. It's on theme after all. This is a horror encounter. And a few zombies, no one will question that. There is something to be said, though, for the players feeling epic. Sometimes when the encounter is completely cr crushed by the players and there was there is no opposition, the players will feel great. Remember that you should only use these advice I give you to how to make an encounter easier or harder if it's your fault. If the players did something clever or something stupid, they should be rewarded or punished depending on the scenario. So. If the players come up with some crazy strategy or use some crazy combination of spells to get a huge advantage, don't make the fight harder. This will only make it feel for the players that their actions do not matter, and the goal in the game is to make that the players' actions matter.
I will definitely dive deeper on this in a future episode. As a final note on this encounter, if you don't remember the 1d4 strength modifier that's negative from shadows when they hit, this encounter won't work. This is the main mechanic of the, the shadows except for the stealth and it's vital for their fighting. Strength characters will be very weak in this encounter, uh, so if they are very unlucky, this could snowball out of control and uh, this encounter would be very, very hard. This is when you would collapse the ceiling by yourself. The final point is that this encounter includes a lot of immunity and resistance based on scarecrows and shadows having that. It is a valuable thing to teach your players and this is a great encounter to do so. You could easily make this encounter for first players, level player if you wanted, but you can just look at the tables and change experience points accordingly. To sum this up, when you're designing an encounter, you should have a pre-work. What happens and what is viewed before the encounter even starts. Then you should discuss the initiation and presentation of the encounter, the surprises, the traps, the what do you tell your players in the beginning. Then you have to decide the enemies. What will you actually fight? To do this, you should aim for a medium, hard, or deadly encounter according to the Dungeon Master Guide and the Monster Manual's experience point system. The next thing you should have to decide is the objective of the encounter. What is the goal? What is the player supposed to be doing? Next, the tactics of the enemies. Are the enemies smart? What are the enemies' goals? And how will this affect how they fight? For the wolves, the wolves fight using packed tactics, which means that they will fight against one player and try to take them down. And how do you present this to your players? Well, you present it by telling your players that the wolves try to fight one person, they all try to get an advantage from surrounding a single player. What is the mechanics of the encounter? The mechanics are things like the howl ability or the ceiling falling in. It is things that will happen during the encounter that will make it interesting. The mechanics is very important and I like attaching my mechanics to one of the enemies, making it into a target encounter where the mechanic is that one enemy is very strong and is doing something that's really bad for the players, so the players have to take him out before anyone else. Next is the environment and terrain. You need to have an interesting environment and terrain, and if you are inclined to do so, I would recommend trying to have at least one interactive terrain piece. This doesn't have to be a give a huge advantage, but have something that is relevant enough for the players to actually spend time doing. And then last, have a small note on how to make the encounter harder or easier, depending on how you did it. The, I always recommend playtesting or at least having a good plan in making all of this, but it's easy to make an encounter too hard or too easy, and you should have a small plan how to fix that in case it happens. It was night. The adventurers had long gone to sleep. The only person who is awake at this time is Teston, who sat by the dying fire and fingering his loot. All his gear was off, and he sat with a bottle of fine wine that he had kept secret from his friends after visiting to the broken board inn a few days ago. Suddenly, he hears a howl in the distance. Wolves, the ranger Herja, had seen wolves' tracks in the previous day. He stood up and silently woke the party up. They stirred and slowly started picking up their weapons, careful not to make a sound. They could hear paws and leaves, and that's just a faint growling. The wolves engaged, thinking they had an advantage in the shroud of night, but the players were ready. Arrows and bows thronged, and the sound of sword against flesh was heard as the battle started. Then, a large wolf, almost twice the size of the others, let out a huge howl. It was unmistakably a war call. The wolves might have failed to surprise the players, but more would arrive fast. The battle was far from over. This has been the episode 3 of the TPK cast, 
the Dungeon Master Design Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you have any pointers, criticism, questions, or advice, please contact me or tpkcast at gmail.com, as well as our social media. The music was used is from bensound.com. This has been William Wadbrandt, and I hope to see you in the next episode of the TPK Cast. Thanks for listening, and good luck in your next session.